0: Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, they are springboard for our study today, as we open God's word and ask him to bless us with uh, a message that we can take hopefully into our week and be more like him in what we do. Thank you for being here today. I'm always, always grateful to be a member of this congregation Uh, There are so many things that go on uh, By so many people And if I were to try to start Naming them and name people I would leave someone out But just know that your efforts are noticed And appreciated That your ministry is Touching lives And uh, even in the smallest things Even in the uh, In in what I call a small thing You know Really is, is not small at all It helps us to To do and be there for each other, to worship our God, to reach out and love each other. It's a wonderful place to worship. And we're grateful that we can come together as brethren. So if you're visiting with us, come back. We want you to come and study with us. We want you to become a Christian. We want you to uh, know a church family of faith like this one. I'd like to to start today in moving toward God and seeing Jesus. I'd like to start in Philippians chapter 2, I'd like to read verses 6 through 8, and I chose this morning to start from the New Living Translation, you may be reading from the New American Standard, New International, Uh, follow along if you will. Though he was God, he did not think of, of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God. Stop there for a moment. John Piper blogs that the love of Christ for us in his dying was as conscious as his suffering was intentional. He intentionally came to lay down his life for us. Read in John 13 and verse 1. When Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father... Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I want you to think of three things about Jesus when you think about his love being intentional and dying for us. First, Jesus made very sure that when he came to this earth that he did things according to the scriptures so that they would be fulfilled. In fact, he says so in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 54. He said, I could could escape this misery, but how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? Jesus knew the plan. He stuck with the plan. God gave him the plan. And Jesus then executed that plan even in his own execution. Secondly, we see his intentional love by his suffering. Think about that as as Donnie prayed this morning around the table. Every nail, every thorn, Every breath, every suffering was intentional in his love for us. At every moment of pain and indignity, Jesus, Jesus chose not to do what a lot of us would do. That's to, to um, retaliate, to survive, to um, somehow fight the injustice. But in First Peter chapter 2, and verse 23, we read, When he was reviled... He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly, that is God. Then perhaps the clearest statement that Jesus makes about His own intentional love is in John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18. When Jesus turns to His disciples and He says, For this reason the Father loves Me, because I lay down My life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from Me, but I lay it up down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my father. In this series of moving toward God, I want us to see that moving toward God is to accept that He is in control. Moving toward God realizes that He moved toward us by sending His only Son, who willingly. Left heaven on our behalf, and therefore, in John, First John, chapter three, and verse sixteen, I think we come to a better understanding when John writes, "By this we know love, that He laid down His life for us." I want to suggest to you today that love. There are two types of love. There's unintentional love, and there's intentional love. love unintentional love is that response to a, a, a baby or a new puppy that you just can't help but love them. You know, they're just so cute. Intentional love says, I'm going to take it and I'm going to raise it. I'm going to be responsible for it. I'm going to do the things that need to be done. Okay, so that this grows to be something that we can all be proud of. And I see two things that this kind of love demands of us, both toward God and with each other. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to look at verses 4 through 7. And as we do that, I'm going to look at those and let that be kind of the outline if we could. And I want to look at that as, far as God loving us, moving toward us. I want us to see us moving toward God, and I want us to see us including each other in that love. So you've got several things moving there. We'll try to keep it all straight for you. But I think that's important for us to remember, that we know love because God intentionally loved us. That Christ shows us how to love God and to love each other. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7 it's, uh, it's an incredibly familiar passage for us. If you look at it, it says, Love is patient, and love is kind. It is not jealous, love does not brag, and is not arrogant. does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own. It is not provoked, it does not take into account a wrong suffered. does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things love never fails verse eight starts first thing i want you to know today is that love trains us to enjoy the other person follow me in verse four it says love is patient love is kind when you look at that love is permission with parameters all right there are things that it trains us to do right expectations and agreements that we come to No, God's love toward us in Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. Listen as I read. He says, or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? God is very patient in how he trains us, okay, to enjoy him. His kindness and his patience towards us has a result in God loves us with that for which we can return to Him in His good grace. So how does that extend from us? Well, let's look at that, first of all, in moving toward God, which is the the basis of this. Moving toward God, we would be patient and kind with Him. God shaping us, teaching us, molding us, helping us to conform to that pattern of doctrine which we receive. Romans chapter 6 and verse 17 tells us, 1 Peter 2 and verse 5 says, You also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. When you think about your daily life, when you think about your worship, your ministry, your witness, when you think of those intentional things that we do because we love God, we want God to know we love Him. We do that because we're being patient and kind. Not with just each other, but with God. Because sometimes, let's face it, there is some frustration with God in our life. Amen? You understand what I'm talking about? Some things we don't understand. Some things, some questions that go unanswered. Some things that disappoint us that aren't going to change. But we have to be patient with God because He has the big plan in mind. We have to be kind toward God because we know that there are things we want for ourselves, all right? That we want to protect, that we want to uh, treasure. And God says we have to give those up and we have to be kind and say, you know, God, if you want it, it's yours. I'm always uh, mindful of the, 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 the parable Jesus told in Matthew 13 of the, the parable of the pearl of great price. And Jesus says, you know, there was a man who found a pearl. Was invaluable, but he went and sold all that he had in order to own the pearl. The idea being that what would you give up to have God? And if that's the case, and sometimes our kindness toward God is that you know whatever you have, whatever I have is yours. You have to think about that. But living with with each other, I want to extend that then. If we're about, because you have to be practical in this thing. Okay, loving God, we have to be patient and kind. God is patient and kind toward us. But let's look at each other. We have to be patient and kind with each other. Ruby Smith wrote, and I, and I love what she, how she put it, she said, living with each other, we are patient. One definition of patient says this, able to accept or tolerate delays, problems, or suffering without being annoyed or anxious. Let me read that again. Able to accept or tolerate delays, problems, or suffering without being annoyed or anxious. The sad thing is that we're probably at our worst at being patient with our own family. Probably more so than we are with a complete stranger. And when my schedule becomes more important than showing love, I need to stop and reevaluate my priorities. We can all practice intentional love just by being more patient. But love is kind. Kindness is defined as having or showing a a friendly, generous, or considerate nature. I think we could be embarrassed. We should be embarrassed. That we've not always been so friendly to those even living under our own roof. It's a common courtesy, a consideration. Sometimes we've been too busy to be considerate of others. We live in such a a fast-paced society. We often go through the day without stopping to take into account those around us. If I'm going to be intentional in my love, if I'm going to do as God did for me, then I'm going to have to slow down and be genuinely friendly and considerate and kind. The second thing I want to share with you today is that love... Causes us to conquer. This is where I need you to be back in 1 Corinthians 13. I want you to notice God's love toward us in Romans chapter 8, and 37. He says, Despite all these things, we are more than conquerors to Him who loved us. Or as one translation puts it, Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. God loving us, okay, empowering us to be victorious. But looking at it from the other angle, what do we do? What do we do in our love that calls us to conquer for God? How do we do that? And I look at that and I think, about, I think about all that we ask of God. Which is not a bad thing that we go to God and ask. But I think about all the things that God looks at us and says, I just want you to love me with the same measure, and how would that how would that show itself? Instead of always asking, would it be nice if we offered? Instead of always demanding, would it be nice if, if sometimes we were just grateful? If sometimes we uh, we initiated instead of having to be guilted into loving God, instead of just kind of being an afterthought. God was the thought that controlled our day. First, it says, 2 Timothy, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. I look at the Apostle Paul, and this is what he says. At the end of his life, he looks back on it, and he says, I have done my best in the race. I have run the full distance. I have kept the faith. And now there is waiting for me the victory prize of being put right with God, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only to me, but to all those who wait with love for him to appear. That kind of love for God. That faithfulness, that determination, that priority. Now look at each other. We look at us with each other. How do we show that kind of love with each other? If you look back at First Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7, I want to group those if I could together and just make, make six victories that we can achieve in showing each other that kind of God love, if you will. First of all, we rejoice with the, each other. Okay? We, re, we rejoice with others because we don't envy. Love is not envious. Okay, We live in a very self-centered society. Each person wants to get ahead of the other to achieve something greater. Everything's a competition. I was telling somebody the other day, I said, you know, the, the sad thing to me is that you know, when I was a kid, we had a, we had a broomstick and a, and a tennis ball, and we played ball out in front of our house. First base was was the Jones's garage. Second base was was the curb. Third, set, set. third base was the mailbox over at the Jordans. And home plate was when you make the full circuit. And now we have little leagues and giant games and you know tournaments and you know all these things. And you know you go to the World Series and all that kind of stuff. Now, it's just a bat, and ball, and some kids. That's right. Why did we make it so complicated? And it's the same idea. When I look at other people, because, you know, here's the idea is that somebody has something I want. So let's create something to get that so I can have it. Something bigger or something better. As Christians, you can't let that attitude take over your life. Romans chapter 12 and verse 10 tells us that we should prefer one another in love and in honor. Rejoice in the victories and the blessings of those around you. Instead of wishing it were yours, and letting envy take root. You just show love and happiness that that person it received the blessing as if you were blessed yourself. What's wrong with that? Love does not envy. You want to show God love? You don't show envy. You don't let that take root in your life. Secondly, in that in that passage there, we humble ourselves. We, we leave pride behind in a world that is obsessed with image and status, you have to look a certain way and wear the right clothes. You know, somebody was telling me this past week that uh, in, in response to, to certain ads that were shown about the NFL, certain people were burning their Jordans, their Air Jordans or, or, their, or whatever, their Nike shoes or whatever that is kind of thing. And I looked at that and I thought, boy, that's pretty stupid. You know, that's a $150 pair of shoes and you're just lighting them up. I mean, that's kind of goofy. You know, to what end? It didn't change the fact you're still going to air it. You know, the other idea is that that's a conversation that needs to take place way beyond a pair of burning shoes. Okay? And the third thing is, is that that's just a lot of pride on both parts. So when you look at that... We're all about image and status. And Christians must not be obsessed with that, but be obsessed with bearing the image of Christ and representing His kingdom. That's our purpose. It's simple, and it's it is so beyond, you know, whatever else is happening. We aren't called to care what others think about us. We're called to be servants and to care for the least of these. And Jesus was a great example of that. Jesus ate with sinners and tax collectors. He interacted with the sick and the needy. And many times, he didn't care where he slept that night because he didn't have a house. We have to be willing to show love, show mercy to every person. Pride has no place in the heart of a Christian. Next, I want to tell you that we are to be supporters of one another. We don't dishonor each other. Isn't it sad how quickly people can destroy someone when they make a mistake? Boy, I tell you, it, it's sad, especially when you, when you when you when you look at the look at life at, at a junior high level. Well, um, you don't want to make a mistake in junior high, and okay? they will eat you alive. Okay? They, and you know what? It, 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 have you noticed this? It, it, it continues on in high school, you know. And for all practical purposes, have you not noticed it? That it happens for the rest of their life. So you can't make a mistake, people chew you up, spit you out, and tell the story. You can't make a mistake and come back. All right. Instead of offering a helping hand or a word of encouragement, the gossip starts flying and the noses go up and people start picking sides. Love does not dishonor others. Right there it says in verse 7, it, it protects, it preserves, it holds. And it doesn't delight in evil. Choose to be a person who uplifts and speaks kindly of others. Don't delight in the evil or the downfall of someone. But rejoice in the truth and hope and, and, and pray for the restoration of that person to the kingdom of God. Everybody has a soul. And every soul needs grace. And every person needs to have that privilege of choosing that grace through Jesus Christ. If you know someone who's made a mistake, you'd be the first one to offer that message of hope and words of prayer. That's what love is. Next thing I want to tell you is that we need to be a true friend. In other words, we don't use people. We're not self-seeking, it says. We don't use others for our own gain. People are not stepping stones designed for you to reach an end goal. People are worth more than the connections or advantages they bring to our relationship. Love doesn't have an ulterior motive. Instead, it simply values people for who they are. We need to choose to be that true friend with whom you build a relationship and go through life together. You know what makes this time special? Is that our expectations of each other is just to be there for each other. To do the things that are needing to be done when they need to be done. Be more willing to give and invest in those around you than you are to take from. Next thing I want to tell you is that we are to be peacemakers. The text says don't be easily angered. Don't be easily angered. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9 said, Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God. The text here in Matthew 13 verses 4 and 5 says, Love is not easily angered. Love is not easily offended. We live in a generation and a time when everybody takes offense at everything that's said. I mean, if you can if you go out there and say the sky is blue, there is some group out there that's going to crucify you. for it. Mm-hmm. And that's so sad. Sometimes it just is. The sky is blue. Which makes me think that our words need to be brief and true. But it's that idea that we all know someone who causes people to walk on eggshells in order that we could avoid that emotional confrontation with them. we like to avoid them. Don't be that person. Don't be that person. Proverbs 15 and verse 18 reminds us, hot tempers cause arguments, but patience brings peace. You be the peacemaker, not the eggshell maker, or the eggshell breaker. We're quick to forgive. We don't hold a grudge. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 5. It tells us that love keeps no records of wrong. It keeps no record of wrongs. And boy, I tell you, this hits everybody. Because if I were to name somebody in your life, you could name me off three things that they've done wrong to you in the last week. If I could name one person in your life, I can tell you that you've got a list of grudges, Dating back to the time you started that relationship. I want to tell you that you don't sit by certain people at ball games and you don't talk to certain people at the grocery store. I'm going to tell you why. Because you're holding a grudge. You've got something against them and you won't let it go. And that is not love, not God love. And so when 1 Corinthians tells us that love keeps no record of wrongs, no matter how many mistakes we've made or how many times we've sinned against God, all we have to do is ask. And God is quick to forgive us. And if God is quick to forgive us, why wouldn't we be quick to forgive each other? One of the scariest things in my life Comes in two scriptures. One in Matthew 6, when Jesus closes the Lord's Prayer or the model prayers he teaches us. The other is in Matthew 18 as he closes the parable of the unmerciful servant. In both instances, he says, unless you forgive, you will not be forgiven. Folks, what that means to me, is that there are a lot of people here who talk about their assurance of heaven, that they're going to go through the prairie gates. But I'm going to tell you, if you can't forgive other people, you're going to stop right there and the Lord's going to say, Wait a minute. I forgave you. Why couldn't you forgive them? When we were buried in baptism, our Lord washed away all the sins and he keeps no record of that wrong. Thank you, God. Mm. When we have been forgiven of so much, how can we hold a grudge against someone else? Love is quick. To forgive, not once, not twice, but time and time again. Let me leave you with these words. Let just wrap up what we're talking about. Moving toward God shows the world what love is, and we see that coming from God, and we want to give it to God, but we also want to show that with each other. Let's live out our Christianity every every day by digging into God's Word and doing what it tells us to do. If others know, John 13, verse 35. If others know that we are disciples, for that's what we call ourselves. In casual conversation, you go, hi, how are you? My name is Scott. What, What do you do? You say, I am a Christian. When you name the name, when they know that's the identity, then they need to know that you are a disciple. And the way they know it is how we love each other, Jesus says. Then I say it's time to love the way the Bible tells us to. To be the light that we are called to be. If I could pull Philippians chapter 2 around. The reason Paul writes those words about Jesus coming the way that he did. Moving toward us. Is because he starts that in Philippians 2 and verse 5 with these words. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. I charge you this week. To go out and show God's love. you I invite you this morning to accept God's love in your life. If you need to be baptized, if you need to repent of sin, if we can pray with you, there is something we can do to minister to your family in a time of need. If you come to the front and make your need known, together we stand.